somewhere in the Houston Midtown area. It's the Sit Down with Slick Vic. Welcome everyone, it's the Sit Down with Slick Vic. Got a very special guest today, the Honorable Natalia Cornelio from the 351st District Court out of Harris County, Texas. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy woman. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Good vibes for your outdoor studio. Yeah, we're, de- we're definitely social distancing, folks. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, before I kind of get into the questions, I always like to kind of give people a little bit of background about yourself. Some people, you know, got listeners all over the world. They might not be too familiar with you. So let's just kind of start out a little bit about, you know, about your childhood growing up. Uh, <laughs> where, where, where are you from? What, where, where did you uh, grow up? Yeah, well, we'll set the mood. We're in Houston, Texas right now. I don't know if all of your listeners know that. And um, we're at a friend's backyard. He put on a fire pit for us while we record this podcast, which is pretty cool. Nice and toasty. And um, I'm originally actually from Chicago, Illinois. North side Uh, or south side? The south side. Oh, I grew up there too. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I lived there until I was like six Okay. So I don't know if that counts. Five years. I think it counts. Those are formative. You're a Bulls fan? Yes. Nice, nice. Three repeat, repeat the three uh, There you go. <laughs> I just watched The Last Dance. Oh all of my it God. obsessively. I think everybody that grew up in Chicago was all about that show. I'm sure other people too, but Yeah, but you're 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 it's you're a special memory. True Bulls fan. You're not one of those that all Fourth quarter fans. Yeah, exactly. I mean I'm not gonna lie, there's some games that I just caught the last quarter. But yeah, yeah, we follow. Of course, my my dad had season tickets that he shared with his friend, and okay. so they would go to half of the games each. The super nosebleeds, but um, it was good. Nice. So, uh, how 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 was it uh, growing up in Chicago? It was good. Um, my so both of my parents are from Mexico. They had come to Chicago when they were younger. They met when they were like in college age. They went to the University of Illinois at Chicago. And my dad was an activist. He um, did a lot of advocating and organizing for migrant workers. And so that's how my mom met him, uh, kind of on that scene. And um, yeah, growing up in Chicago was cool. Our, my family was there. We were pretty, we, you know, we grew up in the south side, like in the back of the yards neighborhood. So as a kid, we weren't really allowed to go outside. You know, my parents were very sheltering of us and the neighborhood they thought was not safe for us to be by ourselves and we didn't always have childcare except for our relatives so you know it would be like you have to stay home come home after school and my parents make fun of me because I would say like oh we used to stay home alone after school like in first grade and they were like for like one hour <laughs> but I still feel like a little bit of a badass you know like yeah I stayed home alone but we weren't allowed to, you know, spend a lot of time outside. So, um, but growing up was cool. My my whole family was there. My cousins were there, and so I spent a lot of time with family and my cousins. And we did a lot of barbecues in the summer. And uh, my parents were young, so we had a lot of adventures with them. Like my mom took dance classes and would take me with her when I was a little kid. So, you mentioned your your dad was was an activist. Um, I'm assuming that played a major role in the development of, of, of your life, right? I think so. And it's funny because, uh, you know, at the time, nobody nobody notices, right? I mean, we all have our own coming of age and rejecting, you know, our, our parents bossing us around and trying to take credit for our accomplishments and right. give us a hard time when we're not achieving enough. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, in retrospect, of course, like they were involved in migrant workers' rights. You know, we participated in strikes against bad conditions. We didn't eat grapes growing up. We, um, my dad and mom were very involved in, you know, just making sure that we did give gifts to kids during Christmas and community centers. And um, we helped local Latinos get elected to office. My dad was involved in the campaign for different aldermen in Little Village community, which is the Mexican neighborhood in Chicago. And it was about Latino representation for the Latino communities always. So Chuy Garcia, who's now a congressman, you know, ran for mayor a while back. He was, we were involved in his campaign for aldermen. We spent a lot of time in his office. Um, so there was also that in those values and just kind of the civic engagement component of being involved in local elections where representation of people by people who come from those communities and look like the people in those communities was always lifted up and important. So you, you, you grew up at, at what point, um, did you say, um, I think, I, I think I want to be a lawyer. I, I know you went to, to NYU. Um, what, what, what made you to decide to go to NYU? I know you had to you know, leave your family. I'm sure you're probably, you know, living on campus or whatnot. So what, what made that decision? Yeah. So I decided to be a lawyer actually in high school and my parents split up when I was younger. And so we went to a high school, um, in a town in a suburb, but basically adjacent to Chicago, uh, called Oak Park River Forest High School. And, um, it was a really good school and I had really great teachers there and I quickly, you know, went to, I don't know, started paying attention to history and like government type of classes. And there was an elective even about law and an elective about philosophy that I had the privilege of learning about in high school. So I decided law around then. And I knew when I went to NYU that I wanted to go to law school after NYU I don't know how I ended up going to NYU. Honestly, my mom and I took a trip once. We, she really loves to travel and we would always, she would try to make sure that we traveled a lot, especially after she was divorced. And we took a trip to the East Coast and we started, she was like, well, let's just see colleges. I think there was like a TV show where somebody went to NYU. She's like, let's see NYU. And we saw like Columbia and NYU and University of Pennsylvania and I was like, oh, I want to go here. I mean, it was just like visiting. It was really diverse. It was really, it was in a city. And I just thought it was cool. So I put my mind to it and it just kind of happened. I don't know. It was the first school I applied to. It was the only school I applied to. I applied to another school. Um, but it just worked out. I got funding from them. I got accepted right away. And and I got lucky and I, and I got to go. And then and leaving home was easy. I was, <laughs> I was super excited to do. I mean, yeah, I was sad when I was there, but I was all about it. I was like, yes, I'm going to live. Yeah, you wanted that kind of like that independence, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so then the University of Chicago, that's that's where you went to law school, right? Yes. Um, the University of Chicago is ranked like number four by the U.S. News and, and, and World Report in the country. So, um, I mean, that's that's a very prestigious school. Um, I'm assuming you were like a bookworm, right? You really, you really put in the work to be able to get accepted to that type of school, right? I'm definitely a nerd. I'm definitely a gunner. I always liked school, and starting around high school, I started to become really good at school consistently. Um, it just kind of worked out 
for me in that way. Like I was good at school. I really liked school. And then, yeah, my I wanted to go back to Chicago. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to the best school that I can get into in Chicago. In retrospect, it was really expensive. I'm still paying those bills, but it definitely has opened up a lot of opportunities for me. I can't complain. And I have a lot of uh, people that I'm still in touch with that were my classmates that, you know, have been really supportive, especially now throughout this campaign and um, where we're at now, you know, almost 20 years later, I guess. I graduated in 2006, 15 years later. So I, I didn't really went to law school. And I'm sure a lot of people that are going to listen to this uh, never went to law school. What exactly is going on in law school? Are you just kind of like <laughs> um, reading, you know, of, of cases in the past or maybe doing like some mock trials? But what, what, what goes on in law school? Yeah, I mean, and it's a really different experience for everybody. A lot of people, the vast majority of people, you know, they work while they're in law school or they have families already. You know, I went to law school very young. Um, I went straight through. I graduated college quickly, and then I went straight to law school. I was 21 when I started law school. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of really hardcore people that study all the time, and we kind of, you know, you see the worst of the personality of people that will become lawyers, and that, like, some of us, not me, but some of us can fall into the trap of thinking that our work is super important, and we have this work to do, and because it's this thing that's prestigious, you know, we we can justify doing it at the expense of um, other commitments. And, uh, you know, I even, even when I was really young, and I noticed, like, I had a really good friend since I was young, that uh, I stayed really close with with college and everything, and she went to college close to NYU, so we actually spent a lot of time together when I was in college, too. And she had made a good friend, and she lost him um, to suicide. And it was really sad, and when I saw her, I saw her the summer after my first year of law school, and she told me that. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? Like, why, why are you just, why are we just talking about this? And she said, well, you know, I try to call you, but you were always really busy. Mm. And I, in that moment, I, I just never forgot that. And I, and I made a commitment to do my best to not be the type of lawyer or law student who, you know, was too busy for the people that loved me and who I loved and who really made it possible for me to be where I was and who I was. So um, it's it's work and it has to be really intentional to be able to do that. But um, but I learned that lesson quickly and you know law school kind of sucks because a lot of people don't have those those priorities and I don't know. There's pros and cons. Yeah, no, but I mean it's definitely good that you you know you recognized mm-hmm. what was going on, right? Like you you definitely have to prioritize things you know, the right way. Um, Education is very important. But, you know, family and friends are also very important. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to find that, that balancing act, right, to kind of you know, put everything in, in, in the right order. So you, you graduated from the University of Chicago Law School, prestigious school. I'm sure you just had offers just flying at you, right? <laughs> so what, 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 led, what led you after that? So I, when I was in law school, the best thing that I did, I guess I should have answered, said this last time when you were talking about it, is uh, I participated in a clinic, which is like a practical um, project that you do where we were able to represent people. And there were different clinics at the law school. Most law schools have a few different clinics, you know, immigration clinic or, and the one that I picked was, it was called the criminal and juvenile justice clinic. 
and it represented people who couldn't afford a lawyer who were charged with crimes, and it included a lot of youth, youth charged as adults or young adults. And that was my that was my project. I applied for that job the summer after my first year of law school, and I did a fellowship for ten weeks where I worked at the the clinic, and we represented. Um, I did my first murder trial as a law student, and it was a really you know sad and messed up case where this woman, this young woman who we represented, her boyfriend, the father of her child, had um, you know injured and killed their child, and she wasn't there, but because she was the mom, then they wanted her to be a witness against him. They charged her as like a accomplice, and mm. their, their theory was she. She should have known, basically, and, and we we were successful in that trial because it's not, you know, they charged her with murder, and you know, their theory was that she was negligent, right? That she she should have stopped something that she didn't really know. So, um, but that was my first case, and it was really. I mean, she was seventeen when we had her. She was sixteen when it happened, and it was my first experience, like doing you said a mock trial, but like a real trial you know, drafting stuff for a trial, but really helping somebody. And it was my first um, exposure to like, okay, this thing that I do that I guess I'm pretty good at, I know that I'm really smart. Um, I know that I want to do this. I could be successful at this and help people. You know, that's that's, that's very, a very controversial <laughs> subject. Right? When you talk about um, basically kids, children, mm. charging them as adults, what do you, what is your opinion on that? Like, is what is what is the age limit when you say, oh, we should charge him as an adult, or is it is it a case to case basis? How does that even get factored in? Yeah, so I think in my current role as being a judge, it, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to comment on that particular question. You know, mm-hmm. my obligations are to follow the law and apply it. Um, okay, so. You you finished law school. Um, where 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 was like your first your first job job out of law school? So the only <laughs> so the first my first job was actually at a big law firm. Um, my second summer I worked at a big law firm because, like you said, they do. There's a lot of opportunities, and the we used to you know talk shit basically and be like, "Oh, law school is just to get you to work at a big firm." Right. Um and. You know, it's a privilege, really. Like, a lot of people would kill for those jobs, and they were just, they were available to us. And I did get a a job, and I had never gotten that kind of job before. You know, I I had never really, I've been through school, and so I worked, you know, part-time here and there, but I was funded for college. And so I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really had to hustle. Right. And, but this job, a, like, super high-paying job. Just threw threw money at you. Prestigious. Yes. And so I took it. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I hated it, um, and I was pretty miserable, and so uh, I uh, I ended up leaving pretty quickly. But my first job was actually at a big law firm doing complex commercial civil litigation. And I think in the end, you know, I knew that I wanted to have work that meant a little bit more to me personally. And I also wanted autonomy over my work. You know, I think the thing about working at a big firm is that you spend a lot of your career, especially for years, working for other people instead of serving people directly, right? Like your actual interaction with clients and the people that you serve is limited and you have to really 
build and earn it. And in the end, it's not really your case until you're like a partner or you bring in your own clients. And so I really wanted a different experience. I, I love the human component. You, you want it to be more hands-on. Yeah. I actually went to law school. I will say that like I wanted to be a lawyer because, you know, I wanted to bridge what I saw was a gap between like real people in the community that I was from and people that I knew and people like me or people, other people and these legal systems and these structures, right? I was really privileged. I was really lucky. I had this great education and I could do something good. And like I said, help people, but like also like there's no lawyers in my family. There's definitely no judges in my family. And I wanted to, I thought, I think it's kind of unfair you know, where where that some communities don't have access to lawyers and and people that have familiarity with these rules and systems that really Im- impact them, um, and especially criminal justice. Like our communities are super impacted by the criminal justice system, directly and indirectly. And I wanted to be a part of it that in a way that was helpful to where I was from. And use whatever I was privileged enough to learn, all the advantages, all the prestigious, you know, education that I got, and use it to to really give back and you know, stay connected. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Um, uh, this is actually uh, the first time I've actually looked forward to talking to to, to seeing a judge because <laughs> of my past. Fair um, enough. But you know, one thing I've noticed as someone who's, who's you know been around the block a couple times with the legal system. Is you know there were times where I you know I didn't have a lot of money, and uh, you know you get the public defender right, and, and it just kind of seemed like I I couldn't get the deal that like you know some other guy could get because he had that big bankroll, yeah. and he could he could get better representation, and I always felt like that that just wasn't really fair. Why why should I mean you're talking about my life right? My life is on the line here. And you're saying that because I don't have the funds to be able to afford some big name lawyer that I'm just not going to get the same level of representation. You know, and I really commend you. I really you know, appreciate that you, you know, recognize that. And you're like, you know what, let me, let me help the ones that actually need the help, right? The people with the money, you know, they can afford to get whoever, right? But it's the ones that don't have access to that that really need the help, right? Yep. I think that's right. And I, I did, I went to a clerkship in California, but ultimately what landed me in Houston was being a public defender in federal court. And this is something that I didn't know much about before I did it, but federal court, um, you know, federal criminal court, especially like it, it's really heavy in prosecuting immigration related offenses. And it's not exclusively that, but the reason that I was drawn to practicing in federal criminal court was because along the southwest border, a lot of immigration related offenses are prosecuted. And, you know, some of them, I think, um, well, I just I wanted to, you know, I wanted to use my language. I want to be able to speak Spanish and use my ability to speak Spanish to serve people that are in the system. I wanted to use all of my experience and background to, yeah, to make sure that people had the best representation possible even though they couldn't afford it. But I will tell you that having been a public defender and I I think a great lawyer and amongst great lawyers um, who also do the same work, I saw discrepancies in what opportunities and deals and agreements people with money could get compared to what our clients got. And it was really sad and really unfair. And part of what motivated me to run for a judge was to 
take head on, you know, inequality, inequities like that, discrimination, really. Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate, you know, that people that don't have access or don't even understand the language, they just get railroaded. You know, they they. I mean, from from from. I mean, you you have the experience. I mean, is that what you you saw? You saw people that like you handle a lot of um, immigration stuff. I mean, do they just see them as like another number? As another, they don't even see them as people, right? It's just like, oh, it's just a, you know, it's just another border jumper. It's just you know something, you know, it's just whatever. I think I think the risk of you know judges and i was warned about this even when i was running people were like oh you're gonna be that is that you do see people get complacent you do see like judges you see judges get i don't know like they get tired of seeing what they feel like is the same thing over and over again and that affects their ability to approach it with a a fresh perspective and treat each person like they're not the same as the other person that they saw and so my goal is if that ever happens, you know, bye. It's time for me to move on and do something else. And probably there needs to be term limits for that reason too, you know. I don't know, maybe it's not possible to not become that after a certain amount of years and a certain amount of cases where you just start to think that you know the answer before it's presented to you. Yeah, so well, that, that's very, I was, I was going to ask you what brought you to Houston, but you obviously answered that. It was, it was the fact that because we were close to the border, you kind of got a better a better look. You know, there's there's more stuff going on here than obviously in Chicago. That's you know way up there in the north. <laughs> um, so you were uh, you, you've always been a public defender, right? You've never gone to the the prosecution, right? I've yeah, I've been only on defense. I did a civil rights litigation, which was like as a plaintiff's lawyer, but mm-hmm. it was yeah. So. One one thing I've always found very interesting um, is that I feel like prosecutors are more about the numbers, right? They're more about the stats. They're more about how many convictions they get. And I've seen enough cases where evidence is withheld. There's some type of tactics. It's almost like they see it as a game, right? It's, I mean, you literally... It's not a game. I know. I know you're trying to uh, further your career by getting these convictions. I mean, as as somebody uh, that's that's defending a plaintiff, I mean, how how difficult is it sometimes to kind of you know kind of get your point across, kind of represent your client to the fullest when there might be some type of you know behind the scene behind the scenes things going on with with the prosecution. So this is another one that in my role as a judge, I probably, it's probably inappropriate for me to answer just because, you know. Okay. No, I, I, uh, I definitely understand that. Um, the rules of ethics prohibit me from commenting on that question. I, 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 I totally understand. I totally understand. Um, so, so now, when, when, at what point in your career as, as, as a defense attorney, because you're, you're fairly young. What are you about? Mid thirties. <laughs> um, I'm thirty-eight. Okay, um, could have fooled me. Um, at what point did you make the decision that you were like, you know what, I want, I want to, I want to move to being a judge. Like, I want to make that transition. When, when did you kind of 
make that? Or did you always like, want to get to that point? It or? was like two years in. And what, what kind of fueled that from? Um, you know, I think, so my dad, when I was thinking about doing this, I told my dad and he said, you wanted to be a judge when you were seven. Or you said that when you were like seven. So I, I guess I did want it before, you know, and think about it when I was a kid. But, um, you know, when I moved here, it was the political climate was different than from my background and where I'm from. Like I'm, you know, I've always voted Democrat. Um, and I, that would be the party that I would ever run for office. I just, I never thought that there would be room for, I, I just, I wouldn't have expect. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know it was possible. Um, there were a few elections after I moved here where, you know, it went completely the other way. So I was like, okay, like this is a system that we're working with. Like, how can I make a change? And I think that as, and then I started noticing change and, I've always been into making change. So I I just, I kind of seized the opportunity where I was like, oh, the, the leadership is changing. So maybe I should consider becoming a leader. I I know that I could make a lot of a difference there. Oh, so it's, it's the fact that being a judge gives you more of an opportunity to make a difference, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about bonds. Um, it's, it's something that, that, that just, you know, it, it baffles me. Like, you know, when, when you, let's say, for example, you have a bond set at 10,000, right? you know, you can go to a bondsman. I think you pay like five, 10% and, uh, you can bond out. But if you pay the whole thing and, and you beat the case, you get the money back. You pay, you pay the five, 10%, you don't get that money back. Um, I mean, is, is 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 that something that you you look into and, and be like, hey man, this is this is kind of crazy because they have like PR bonds, right? They have bonds where a judge can just say, hey, you know what? I, I grant you this bond, um, especially with like you know COVID. We're in COVID right now. These jails are overpopulated. Or, you know, there's a lot of people, and it, you know, obviously a safe place. Um, but what is your opinion on on, on, that, on, that, on that matter? Um. So you know it's really important as a judge my responsibility is to absolutely follow the law consider the legal factors and the cases in front of me um what i will say is that part of my responsibility as a judge too is helping build policies and practices and procedures so i'm actually on the bail bond committee of judges it's a new committee that i just joined it's not a new committee i just joined it i just got elected and you know i volunteered to be part of it to help affect what kind of practices we have as judges, you know, I think to make sure that we have information that we need to be able to make good decisions, but also, you know, because a lot of, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of bond decisions and, you know, outcomes, they're just, they have to do with access to the courts. You know, it's like, it's, it's not about what I decide in a case. It's about whether a person gets a chance to be heard. And I think that judges' responsibilities is to make sure that people have a chance to be heard. And so part of bond reform is making sure that, you know, even though we have tons of cases and there's so much information that needs to be considered and it's very time-consuming when you have, I have 2,600 cases in my docket. Wow. When I hear, you know, between 80 and 100 cases a day. Wow. And it's making sure that even though that's the case, that people have an opportunity to be heard and have 
um, case a case heard. You know, both sides have a case to be heard fairly, um, notwithstanding those pressures and that time constraint. And so that's that's I think the the work that I'm embracing as a judge is making sure that I can make those decisions under the law because I have you know because people are have the chance to present those cases to me on both sides yeah you know it's it's interesting like i feel like you know one thing my lawyer um always told me is like oh you need to bond out you need to bond out it it looks better in front of the judge right when when you're out instead of in i never really understood that because at the end of the day that's just a money thing between the difference between somebody who's bonded out and who isn't, right? Because if you have a bond, right, you're assigned whatever the amount may be, um, if you're not able to afford that money, because maybe you're paying the lawyer because you're worried about your freedom, it, it, it's always been kind of interesting. Like, why is it that a lawyer would say, hey, you should you should bond out? Like, why is, is it because when I'm free, I can come in in a suit and tie as opposed to a orange jumper? Like, what What is that stigma? Do, do you have an opinion on, on, on that? I mean, you know, it's sad because, like we've been saying, you know, judges have to follow the law and consider the factors and whether or not somebody's on bond should not be a factor in their decisions in making one. Um, there is evidence to suggest that folks do get worse results when they aren't on bond. Um, you know, but ultimately we just, we have to follow the law and make sure that um, folks who are entitled to bail, you know, have their cases heard and an informed decision is made in each and every case. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm glad, you know, you say that, you know, because um, in my opinion, it definitely should matter, right? Like, what does it matter if you're on bond or not? That has nothing to do with the case, you know, and, and it's very important, as, especially as a judge, right, to kind of just focus on the evidence as opposed to whether someone is on bond or not. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Ranch Houston, compromise of Ashe Yoga and Wellness, The Garden Project, and The Mill HTX is an intentional conscious organization created for adults to connect to an inclusive community through art, food, nature exploration, and movement, and for school-age children to empower themselves through education on sustainability and edible gardening. It is run by Tamika Kasten-Miller and Lenny Kasten-Miller, highly recommend it y'all go get your stretch on get your garden on and uh yeah just go out there and meet some good people and have a great time we are also brought to you by apparel up the leading custom apparel provider in houston texas they help customers represent their brand correctly with high quality long-lasting custom apparel whether you're in need of embroidered scrubs for your medical practice embroidered polos for your nationwide enterprise or screen printed shirts for your sports team they got you covered. They are dedicating to providing you the highest quality of screen printing and embroidery service. Run by the very talented Jennifer Franco. Get your embroidery on from apparel up. Um, the system is not optimized, you know, to get people of, of your age and, and background into judgeships. Um, what was what was kind of your path to, to, to get elected? To kind of break, break that mold, you know? You 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 you're, you're you know you're young you're 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 Latina and 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 here you are elected. What what what's kind of some of the the things you did? Some of the steps you, you took to get to 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 get elected? Yeah, I mean, work really hard, um, make lots of connections, foster relationships, meet more people. It's not possible to meet the 
you know, 1.5 million people, 1.7 million people that voted in the elections in Harris County, it's not possible for a judicial candidate to make contact, especially, you know, our budgets are, are small. And so, but, you know, you just have to do your best. And I kind of, I decided to run kind of late. So I'm a nobody in the scheme of the political world. Um, so I just had to do my best to get my name out there, meet as many people as possible, make my message clear on what I'm about and try to spread that message. I personally invested in social media. It's a, you know, it's a pretty cheap way to spread the word and it, you can connect to people, people like us and, you know, young people, people that are engaged on social media. So um, it's a one chance. Um, I couldn't afford commercials or radio gigs or anything like that. But and then just literally being out in the community, which of course COVID put a little bit of a strain on, but still just doing our best and making calls and having people that you know who want to help you make calls you know, for you and just spread the word. Yeah, so you pulled in Obama. I know Obama was <laughs> was, uh, was very big in social media, right? He, he kind of tapped into that and, and, and really was able to use that tool. Um, I'm actually you know, reading his book right now. Oh, okay. How's that going? It's okay. I'm actually doing it on audio. It's my first audiobook ever. My friend said I should do audiobooks so that I can actually have time to quote-unquote read and She's kind of right, but it's, I think it's a long, I don't even know how many pages it is. It's like a 26 hour audio. Wow. No, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely a good suggestion. Like, I mean, I'm in this book club and, uh, you know, I'm pretty busy. I just had a baby recently. So oh, congratulations. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, obviously not as busy as you, you know, no, you know, I'm cases, probably but. more busy actually, <laughs> but it, it, it's one of those things where, like we, I have, I drive like an hour and a half every day back and forth from work. So that's, you know, that's throw that bad boy in. And, and really, the only thing I, that, I've, that I that I would criticize about the audiobook, I guess it just kind of depends on what you're doing when you're listening to it. Because like yeah. sometimes when you're driving, you, know, you got to obviously pay attention to the world. You don't kill anybody. So it, it's definitely <laughs> important. But um, yeah, no, I, I think, but. Do you usually listen to it in the car, or where do you generally use it? When I feel trapped. Yeah, yes. Um, or, or like if I'm folding laundry. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just makes it a little more convenient, right? To kind of get get through chapters when, it, when you're you can multitask basically. Yes, right? I mean it's nicer while while walking. Like when I walk from my car to the office, it's actually kind of a, a little walk, and even navigating the elevators and stuff, I get to listen to the book instead of just do that walk. But you're right. Like I pay less attention. When I'm driving, I do listen in the shower, but I don't. I don't want to pay that much. Attention. You got headphones on in there? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, we have a speaker. Oh, nice! You don't nice. have a speaker in your shower? No, no. Are we no. oversharing? <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, that's that's cool. It's kind of weird. It's just and it's like I mean, Obama's you voice, still, and yeah. he's like, "I'm not my quick drama manual to be my chief of staff." And you're like, "I guess." I would think with the water, the noise would kind of. It's a good. It's a, my husband got me a high quality okay, JBL, okay. JBL speaker. Nice. I, I definitely uh, have to maybe take that into consideration. You know, talk, talk to my girl about that. Um, so I mean, now you're. In, in, in a very important position. You make decisions, you you, you kind of uh, officiate in the proceedings. Um, what are some of the things uh, about the system, about maybe being a judge that you kind of go, you know what, 
um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it this way or I'm, I'm, I'm looking to kind of change some things. Obviously, you have to follow the law. Yeah. But what, what are some things that you feel like you, you can have impacts on? Yeah, I mean, I think one is staying engaged with the community, like having this conversation. And, you know, we have lawyers and their judicial ethics code of conduct is really strict. And so it's but it's incumbent upon me, like I need to figure out how to remain engaged in the community and what I can say so that I can make sure that I'm spending time with people and sharing as much you know, knowledge as I can and that I have you know, bringing people into the court when it's safe to do so. Right now we have Zoom and we're live streaming. So try to get schools involved, talk to schools about what I'm doing so that, you know, people can learn a little bit more. And then I think as an actual judge with regards to my court, something that I noticed that's not a common practice in Harris County in criminal cases is, you know, somebody is in custody. They're not necessarily brought out for their case. like. It's not uncommon for lawyers to talk about a person's case without that person actually being there. Oh, yeah. I know and, and so I have um, made it my policy to bring people whose case is about out from the holdover, from the jail, and make sure that they can keep tabs of what's going on in their case and they know that the case is being worked on. I think it's just undermines the integrity of the proceedings as a whole. If a person can't be witness to what's happening in their case. And that's, so that's, that, awesome. that's a, a policy I've implemented. It's awesome. I mean, I, there's been so many times where, you know, they got me in the back. I'm in the holding cell and I, don't, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah. I, I, you know, the lawyer will come in and just be like, yeah, you know, I talked to the prosecutor. And, you know, they, don't, they don't want to do this. But, you know, they're offering me 10 years. I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, no, go back in there. And, and, and fight for me, you know? And, and I don't know what he's doing. I have no idea. He, he could just be back there just, you know, fucking eating a sandwich. Like, I have no idea. Um, you know, one thing that I've always found frustrating is, is, is the resets. Reset, reset, reset. It's like, come on, man. Like, how? And, and during the time, I know things have changed. Um, but I remember during, the, during my time, kind of like in 2007, and they'd wake my ass up at 3 o'clock in the morning in the county, put me in a holding cell, wait there for a couple of hours in the fucking cold, AC blowing up, um, go through the tunnel, put me in another holding cell, go through another tunnel and another holding cell. I felt like that was a torture tactic to, to make me sign. Like, we're going we're gonna to just torture you until you sign. Um I mean, it's just, it's just like, what, what is this? Why, why are we doing this? You know, it's, uh, but that was in like 07. And then like the last time I, I got in trouble, I think there was like a current affair. I mean, some type of investigation from internal affairs or something where they went in there and they were just like, this is terrible. You know, Harris County was notorious. You had, yeah. you had the officers, you know, the, 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 the guards and they're just, you know, slapping the shit out of you, beating you up, people getting beat to death. Like, the, yeah. it, it, it's, 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 it's sad. You know, I think, you know, the there's this stigma, right? There's this belief um, from people that are on the inside that are incarcerated. They have this belief that everyone commits crimes, that everyone goes to jail, which is not true. The majority of the population never goes to jail, never goes to prison. And so they just think this is normal. And then you got people on the outside who have no idea 
what was happening. Um, I'm sure you, you know, being a, a public defender, you, you, you've heard the, the stories, right? You've heard the tales of what's been going on. Um, what, what do you, so one, one thing you, you, you brought it up, the, the, the Zoom trials. Um, I know for a while they weren't doing any trial by juries, right? Um, have, have they, have they started no. still not doing that? No. So I know whenever they've asked me, what do you want? Judge by jury, I'm trial by jury, trial by judge, I would say jury, right? As a public defender in your experience, um, what what is like the the difference? What is your opinion on, on, on which which is like the more popular route to take, and 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 why? Or, or what what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is that the jury trial right is a it's an absolute right under the constitution. I mean, there's not unless you choose to give it up, you don't ever have to give it up. I mean, it's it's, it's a fundamental right, and you know, giving it up comes with there has to be a lot of things boxes checked before that can happen so um i don't know that it's a question of preferences you know it's it's genuinely heartbreaking and unfortunate that jury trials can't go right now and that there's not a meaningful alternative to them um so the people that want that what what, what happens with that do they just have to wait and what what, 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 what what how does that work there's some waiting I think everybody sort of has all hands on deck and, and is figuring out how to do things, you know, to, to do their best to accommodate. But there is some waiting. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's good for those who are on bond, right? And they're, they're out. Um, I mean, one thing I have noticed, I, I, I remember when, when all this, you know, the COVID stuff kicked off, you know, they were, they were giving PR bonds or giving bonds to a lot of people. You know, regardless of uh, a lot of times, you know, the, depending on the type of case, right, the type of crime. The, the but we shouldn't talk about like decisions and cases and stuff. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, referencing decisions and cases. I'm just referencing like uh, I, I. I remember I had I talked to a lawyer, and and he was, and I was like, you know, it's kind of it's kind of crazy, you know. Uh, letting somebody out on a pure bond who's charged with this and other. And he was like, well, you got to think about it like this. They haven't been charged. I mean, they haven't been convicted. How do you know this person's not innocent, right? And so that kind of made me realize, like, well, you're right. Like, that that's that's one thing that we have to understand. That if people aren't getting the adequate representation, they're not getting the adequate opportunity, then, yeah, maybe they should, you know, be out with their family because they, they might not have done anything, right? So... I, I definitely he kind of um, persuaded me to uh, to see the other side. Now, now we're in a, a very crazy time. Right? It's COVID. Um, you know, recently we had we had this this election. Um, I kind of feel like the country is is like divided in like the most I've ever seen since like the OJ trial, right? Where it's <laughs> it, it's kind of like it's crazy, you know. People, people canceling friends, canceling family members. What do you, What do you think is like uh, something that that you that we can do as as a society, or maybe something that you're doing as an individual to kind of bring us back together? Like you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of peace. I'm a big fan of of love, of of understanding. 
And I just feel like right now, people aren't willing to do that. People are, are like, no, if, if you don't believe this and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, how, how have, you know, how has all this going on kind of affected what's been going on with you? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> this new job that I've gotten, it's so busy that I am not too distracted by those kinds of things. But I, I will say that, you know, I'll give an example. I, I do Aztec dance and um, it's this practice that's really culturally rooted in like Mexico Mexican culture before it was Mexico and it was before it was the Spain, the Spanish came right and um the traditions that existed in Mexico before Spain and 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 well before that so that I do that practice and one of the teachings of it is you know we do everything in a circle and and it's just amazing and we dance and we we kind of follow each other and it's this amazing teaching and, and collaboration and part of the teaching that like my teacher and I have a teacher for this talks about a lot is one of the things about this circle in this group and doing this practice is we don't have to get along all the time or be best friends, but we're part of the same circle and we're here because we're doing this thing. And so we should remember that we're doing this thing together instead of like, cause you know, we all get caught up in our got like, garbage like you know our cheese made yeah. our like oh this person looked at me crazy people get into little fights and she's like you know we're not here to like resolve how you guys feel about this we're here to do the thing like the stanza and the work that comes with it so let's get to work so i wonder if that teaching is translatable to the world you know and the more that people focus their attention on building and projects together and and, and focusing on what they're trying to build instead of somebody else and whether the other person is on the same page as that, you know, that might get us to, to somewhere better. It's not going to be perfect because we're never going to see eye to eye and there'll always be destructive forces around us in the universe. So, um, I think that's a very good analogy, you know, um, dancing, especially, um, when it involves, um, a lot of people, right. It's all about being in sync, right. It's all about being on the same following the same footsteps and i think that i think that's what's lacking i think people are so hard-headed so like determined to 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 sell their story to say you know what it's either this way or it's the wrong way right it's like a partnership too right like like a marriage like like you learn in a marriage i've learned in my marriage (laughs) in my one year of marriage that like oh it doesn't matter if i'm right like right exactly (laughs) actually what matters is getting along with this person who I love and I'm trying to build with them. And yeah, I'm right. But also, that's not going to get me anywhere. Yeah, I mean, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, we're all living in the United States of America. Right? We're all paisanos. Right? We're, all, we're all here in this country. It doesn't make sense to divide, right? I mean, there's, there's a, I think it's, it's, it's Julius Caesar or something that says, you know, divide and conquer, right? You... You, you want to separate people in order to take control. It's easier that way. And I just kind of feel like people on the outside, you know, people, other countries are kind of just looking at us like, look at these, look at what they're doing. Like they're, they're, they're fighting and they're disagreeing and they're not coming together for one common goal. Because I don't think at the end of the day, 
anybody really wants conflict. I mean, remember there's some people who, you know, who are demented or whatever, but I think at the end of the day, people want to be happy, right? People want to have fun, right? People want to get along. You know, cutting someone off because of their political perspective, what is that solving? Like what what how is that fixing anything when you're just eliminating somebody as opposed to going, hey, you know what? Let's just let's sit down, let's sit down and have a talk. Let's 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 just why do you because to me it's always like interesting getting someone's opinion and why they see something a certain way. You know, you haven't lived their life. Yeah. So it's very difficult for you to just pass judgment on somebody. Yeah. And um, sometimes you don't have to talk about it, right? Like sometimes it's like, hey, you know, like during Hurricane Harvey, like let's rescue this, let's take help me take this boat out to help someone out. You know, we don't have to talk about politics. We don't have not, to you know, let's just let's just have a something shared, a goal and respect each other and if that means, you know, sometimes maybe we could get there and trust each other and talk about it, but sometimes maybe we don't have to. And I'm not saying avoid everything important, but don't create conversations that are unnecessarily difficult that will prevent you from being able to get somewhere and prevent you from being able to actually be helpful to other people together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, I, it, it, there's just, I, I kind of feel like it's, a little bit maybe of the media kind of just kind of just pushing like hey let's create this clickbait let's click let's create this conflict because it that's what sells right Pe- people don't want the happy story they want like oh the drama so i mentioned earlier you know you're uh i mean regardless if, if you're in your late 30s you're still you're still young right um what what is your opinion i, I think uh I think you have to do like what is it like four or five years of being a lawyer, and then you're eligible to to run to be a judge. Mm. Um, do you think as somebody who, how long were you a lawyer for before you ran for for, for, for judge? Mm, like fourteen years. So, a a long time, a, a good amount of time. Do you think, in in your opinion, that you know, three four years is is a adequate amount of time to be eligible? To run for a judge? Yeah, I mean, that's a hot topic right now, actually. Um, mostly in cities and big counties like Harris County, people have more experience under their belt. I think that, um, I think that, I might be misspeaking, but I think that the intention behind the requirement and it being where it's at is that, you know, it's important for everywhere to have folks be judges and so not a, you know for people to be able to have more options of people to run everywhere oh okay kind of kind of widen the playing field yeah um but yeah i mean sure anything can be learned i'm i'm i've always been more of a believer in like hey give, give, give me at least five give me at least <laughs> five years of, of, of i actually had a discussion about this uh, yesterday and it was just like i was like because I, I, I read something about somebody who became a judge at 25, but she wasn't actually like a, I forgot what kind of judge she was, but she wasn't like a criminal judge. But I just feel like, you know, what, what can happen in a year can be very significant in two years, can be very significant in, in really forming your opinion, forming the way you handle things, especially when you're talking about becoming a judge, right? Like that's that's a lot of power. Kind of talking about that. What did it feel like when you when you won? 
when when you realized do, do you get a call how, how does that even work how do you what happened when they, they notified you that it was official i didn't well you watch on the internet like kind of everybody were, else were you nervous did you have the bottle of champagne ready to pop or what <laughs> my neighbors had a bottle of champagne okay. ready for to pop for me yeah i mean i was nervous um i was ready the campaign campaigning was hard it was a lot of work and you know, we went hard towards the end, especially. So um, I was just ready. I was like, okay, accept my feet. And then it was great. Yeah, I mean, it was exciting news and it almost didn't feel real. And then it was an intense week with the elections anyway, with lots of non-results. So, you know, and I'm a woman, I joke. I'm like, I'm a woman. I don't allow myself to enjoy anything until it's done, been over. Um, so I, you know, I, was, I did have a little celebration with my neighbors that night, but um I don't think it felt real until I got there, honestly. So, what exactly? Just just a quick little, a little quick little summary. Just what what exactly does does the day of a judge like? What do you, what exactly do you do? I only know when I actually get sentenced. That's my only experience with judges when they tell me, oh, "Mr. Belcher, you fucked up. Uh, we're going to sentence you." You know, that, that's all I got. So, but what? What 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 exactly goes on in, in being a judge, and in, in, in especially in a criminal judge? Yeah, I mean it's a felony criminal court. I have a lot of cases. I have twenty six hundred cases on my docket. I see, you know, eighty to hundred and something cases a day. Um, some of it is kind of what you were saying—the resets, right? It's and I'm trying to be proactive and learn about the cases and say where are we at and like what what happens next. But the main responsibility, you know, is making bond decisions, making, um, presiding over trials, presiding over hearings, uh, making sure that folks have access to court and, and if there's disputes that I'm available to resolve them. Um, I supervise people. I don't supervise people, but I have people on probation and they're supervised. And so we make sure that everything's good in those cases. And, um, yeah, that's. That's a day in the life is seeing a lot of different lawyers and a lot of different people right now, most of them on Zoom. Oh, so the majority of everything's happening on Zoom, uh huh? Yes. So so no no one's even going in the courtroom, right? You're you're basically maybe staying in your judges' chambers or what do you usually I'm in the courtroom and my staff is in the courtroom oh, okay. and actually the people from the jail are being brought out unless they're in quarantine. So as as a minority woman who who has I mean you made it. You're 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 you're, you're a fucking <laughs> I can judge. Die now. <laughs> um can you can you give me you know, there's gonna be a lot of people listening to this, there's gonna be a lot of, you know, little girls, teenage girls listening to this. Can you give can you give them some type of words of wisdom, some type of encouragement? Can, what what do you tell them? Um, who are kind of on the fence of, can can I get there? Can I, oh, yeah. can I make a difference? What, what, what are some words? You can get there and find somebody in your life who has your back and will help you get there because we succeed when we have people around us that support us. And those are your people. Stick to them. Tell them um, that you appreciate their help and let them know what your plans are and and stick around with them when they support you. Yeah, I heard it here, folks. 
um, the Honorable Natalia Cornelio. Um, thanks again for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Like I said, this is the first time <laughs> I looked forward to actually spending time with the judge. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, th- thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you, and congrats on your show. And I hear I'm following a award-winning fighter. So I'm sorry I couldn't be as exciting as that person um, to all you listeners, but thanks for having me. And, you know, if, if you want to learn more, nataliacornelio.com or follow me on social media, stay in touch. Um, just don't message me about a pending case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard it here, folks. Uh, don't message her, message her on pending cases. Go on the website. Um, hopefully, Hopefully, if you do fuck up, and you get her as a judge. You, you, I think you're going to be in good hands because because I think I think she's fair, and I think uh, she's like a new generation of of, of judges to come. And, and hopefully, uh, I know you. I know you're going to be in good hands. Well, folks, uh, y'all have a good one. <laughs>